uh, continue now with, uh, with the sermon message, which will uh, take us a little bit further into the story of Advent. I want to take you to uh, that epistle lesson for today from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and see how it is Paul's advice not only to Timothy who was living in an unchristian world but to you and I also in this Advent season as we live out our days in an unchristian world. Now I've told you before that the Bible that I'm reading uh, my uh, read scripture challenge scriptures out of is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called The Message. Now, the Bible has 1,500 pages, and uh, this week I'm down to the last 60, so you know that we're getting close to the end of our Read Scripture Challenge. And of course, we have this new liturgical year that begins today, Advent. So I want to bring those two, those two thoughts together today in the message. And the text I've chosen is this message that Paul gives to young Timothy, recorded in his second letter, chapter 3. I believe it is a wonderful piece of advice for Advent Christians who are living in an unchristian culture. A piece of good advice for us. Now St. Paul is under arrest at this time in Rome. He's actually in prison. He knows that his life is coming near to an end. He doesn't have many more days to live. Timothy is doing apprentice work, missionary work, in the town of Ephesus. And St. Paul certainly has it rough as he's sitting there in prison awaiting his execution. But St. Timothy also has it rough because he's doing ministry in an, in, a, in an outpost of Rome. Ephesus was one of the five great outposts of Rome. And St. Paul says then to young Timothy, and here's where the message paraphrase is a little bit different than the ESV that I read to you just a few minutes ago. And uh, also, by the way, on this slide that's coming before you now, it's not 2 Timothy chapter 6, but it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, where, where Paul says to Timothy, anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. Unscrupulous con men will continue to exploit the faith. They're as deceived as the people they lead astray. As long as they're out there, things can only get worse. Now, I want you to pay attention to what's on the screen. Huh? Doesn't this sound way too familiar for you and for me? We've, of course, got many overt, and we've got a lot of subtle ways in which the world around us attacks the faith. Deceit comes from all kinds of con men today. It comes through academia. It comes through the media. It comes from church leaders who have forsaken the truth of God's word, from spiritual apathy, and then there's, of course, the devil himself. You know we've got him to deal with. He's alive and well in our communities and in our neighborhoods. And as long as they are out there, Paul is saying in this, in this advice that he sends from prison, as long as they are out there, things can get worse. So St. Paul gives some advice to a situation like that. What is his advice? Here it is. Stick with what you have learned and believed. Sure of the integrity of your teachers. Why, you took in the sacred scriptures with your mother's milk. There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Well, let's talk about that from your mother's milk business, huh? Timothy had a mother named Eunice and a grandmother named Lois. And Timothy was a product of a mixed marriage. That is to say, his father was Greek, was a Gentile, right? And his mother's side was Jewish. Needless to say, Timothy's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was a product of his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, huh? And it was on Paul's second missionary journey when he was in Lystra in Asia Minor that he ran into this family. Eunice and Lois and Timothy. And with his mother's nurture and then St. Paul's encouragement, Timothy became a missionary pastor in training. And he was sent later on primarily to Ephesus to that Roman outpost, ungodly outpost, to do ministry and to keep the Christians faithful in the midst of an unchristian culture. And now here at the end of St. Paul's life, he wants to give advice to his young protege because the church in Ephesus, in order for them to be faithful, Timothy and the faithful are going to have to rely upon what? The Word of God. That same Word of God mom and grandma gave to Timothy all the way from the days of his youth, from the time he was on his mother's milk. And why? Why is this so important? Well, Paul tells us. Because first and foremost of all, that Word of God shows you, the last sentence up there on the screen, shows you the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now that's the fundamental and primary purpose of God's Word. That truth is foundational, supersedes all other reasons. But there are other reasons that God has given us his holy word. There's good reason we have been blessed during 2021 as a family of faith, faith as we have been reading the entire word of God from January until now. Because in so doing, we have seen again God's marvelous plan of salvation from the Garden of Eden to Abraham, from Abraham's covenant to the prophets, to the baby born in Bethlehem's stable, to the gift of faith that is given at Pentecost, to the mission of the church, to be God's voice in the world. We have seen the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But in addition to that, St. Paul says to Timothy and to us, the Bible is a toolbox that gives us at least four other tools, right? Next slide. Scripture is useful in at least four ways. It shows us the truth. It exposes our rebellion. It corrects our mistakes, and it trains us to live God's way. Now let's talk about all four of those, because it is that list of four tools that the Scripture gives to us that I think coincides so beautifully with the season of Advent, a wonderful season of the church year that, that makes our hearts prepared for the coming of the babe of Bethlehem. And as you heard in the Holy Gospel, it also makes our hearts prepared for the coming at the end of the world in judgment of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love Advent. As I said to in the children's message, it's a countdown season. It comes at a perfect time of the year. It keeps us focused when the, so, there is so much in our life that distracts us. Our December lives are loaded, aren't they? It is a season of preparation and anticipation it is a season filled with, first candle, hope. Now Paul says the scriptures, first of all, I told you, 
first of all, shows us the truth, next slide, and exposes our rebellion. Shows us the truth and exposes our rebellion. Those are the first two tools of the scriptures. And they coincide beautifully with the season of Lent, of Advent, rather. Because Advent calls us to repentance. Right? To expose our rebellion. I hope you all understand that when the King of Kings comes and we are taken into our eternal home in heaven, right? We need to be guiltless. Guiltless. Now listen, folks, I know all about guilt. I bear plenty of it. You know all about guilt. You bear plenty of it. And you people worshiping with us online, you should know all about guilt because you bear it too. We all fall short of the glory of God. Advent draws us to our knees to face our guilt. And it washes us in the power of forgiveness by which I am able to amend every day, every day, amend my sinful life. Now, some of you might be old enough to remember when Advent's altar color was purple. Not blue, but purple. It's about 30 years ago we changed. Why was it purple? Because it was like Lent. It called us to repentance. Remember, the Advent call of John the Baptist was, Repent, for the King is coming. I've come to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. And here's the way we prepare our hearts by repenting, right? And all the parables in the Gospels that speak about Christ coming a second time says you got to be prepared every day. You don't know when he's coming. And so that's why every day it's important for us to repent. Don't fall in to spiritual apathy or fall asleep as so much of unchurched society does. We need the constant preparation. Advent is a countdown season, huh? One, two, three, four. Or four, three, two, one. Christ comes. Now, we don't know when he's coming again, that second time. And we don't like not knowing. We humans have such great intelligence and we have so many resources at our hands available to us that if we don't like, if we don't know the answer, we can always find the answer, right? We Google it. We go on the internet, right? We find an expert. But there is no source. There is no expert. The disciples even asked Jesus, when are you going to come back again? He says, not for you to know. It's not for you to know. Which leads us then to Advent living. As if Christ, what? Died yesterday, rose today, and is coming tomorrow. Truth is, there's a lot in this world that we smart people don't know about. As a matter of fact, we don't even know we don't even know when Christmas really is. Next slide. We don't know when Jesus was born. History tells us now, because from human history we can tell when Quirinius was governor of Syria and when Caesar Augustus called for a Roman tax. From secular history, we know. And that was at least four, maybe five, maybe six BC before Christ. Christ came, huh? So we haven't got the year right, and oh, by the way, we don't even know the date. December 25th? Yeah, most scholars today think that it was probably at least two or three months later than December 25th. Of course, even if we did pick the wrong date, we want to celebrate that date anyway. Because it's not so much the moment, but it's the meaning of Christmas when God came down and joined the human race. 
And besides, maybe it's best that we don't know the exact date of Christ's birth, because often from year to year, the greatest moment of our Christmas celebration might not come on December 25th. Maybe it comes on, uh, on December 8th this year when our kids here in the school on that Wednesday will present the Christmas story in their little operetta, huh? Maybe it comes in some family gathering, or maybe it comes when some neighbor brings over a casserole for your family out of love for what you're going through. It might come at any moment, maybe when you're out walking under the midnight sky some December evening, and you look up in the sky and you see all those stars, and you think somewhere from out there, Jesus came down from, from his eternal throne and was born in Bethlehem stable. You just never know when that moment is going to come. And for a lot of people, sleeping through Advent in unbelief and apathy, they'll miss that moment. Next slide. For a lot of others who are busy with partying here and shopping there and busy with this and busy with that, they completely ignore the coming of the Christ child knocking on their hearts. They're whooping it up in the brightly lit inn, may even be feasting and music and dancing, but they're unaware that God is out back in a stable as the silent stars go by, being born in a manger. That's why the Lord tells us we need to be alert, on high alert, every day, all the time. Advent is the season that falls at the darkest time of the year, during the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year will come during Advent. And we adjust our lives during this holy season to watch and listen and hope. Huh? Because our rescue is coming, my friends. Tune into God's word in the next four weeks. Hear his promises. There's a list of things. Have some special devotional moments. Maybe include an extra Wednesday worship service during the week. Have some quiet moments of prayer. Decorate your house with items that describe your faith. Write your cards and send your e-greetings, huh? With the real reason for the season. Do extra acts of love and kindness. But above all, keep your hearts ready. That's why, you see, a few years ago, about 30 years ago, the liturgical colors for Advent changed from purple to blue. There's a sign of hope and joy and peace and love. And that leads to these last two tools in the toolbox of Advent that St. Paul gives advice to young Timothy about. Right? We already talked about showing us the truth and exposing our rebellion. Scriptures do that. But they do two other things. They help us to correct our mistakes, right? And they train us to live God's way. Now that word train makes me think of what we do to a little puppy, either by way of punishment or reward, to get him to behave properly. Train him to, you know, do his thing outside. It also raises the picture of a child, maybe, for you parents, who with encouragement and uh, discipline, train your children to be the best that they can be, huh? Oh, shucks, it's not just puppies and little children, it's all of us who need to be trained by the Holy Scriptures in order to consider our prayer life, our stewardship, how we overcome daily temptations, 
how we learn the importance of Christian fellowship, gathering with fellow Christians, and how we understand the importance of worship. How in the world are we going to deal with adversity and struggles and temptations when they come into our life? The Holy Scriptures train us to do it God's way. And never forget, our text says, is the God-breathed Scriptures that correct our mistakes and train us to live God's way. I was teaching eighth grade confirmation a few years back, and I was trying to impress upon the junior high kids how they daily have to fight Satan, huh? and how they daily need healthy connections to the Word of God, right? To the power of their baptism and the teaching of God's Word. So I asked them to do an experiment for me. I told them the next time they did something wrong at home, they should immediately admit it. They should go to their mother and father and say, we're really sorry, Mom and Dad. Please forgive me and understand that God is working every day to make me better. And I promised them saying that would make their mom and dad melt and say, ooh, that catechism stuff is really working. God is working every day to make us better. And he does it through the Holy Scriptures. St. Paul tells Timothy, gives advice, right? A read Scripture challenge is really working for us. St. Paul made the Scriptures the center of his advice to Timothy of how to live, how to be faithful in the midst of an unchristian, unchurched culture. And it's a great way to finish off the year now. If you haven't, if you haven't gotten involved in that daily Scripture reading, there are schedules right back there on the table. You can still do it in the last month, the last four weeks before Christ comes at Christmas. And remember Paul's advice. He says, stick with what you have learned and believed, sure of the integrity of your teachers, why you took in the Holy Scriptures from your mother's milk. Because there's nothing like the written Word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Will you bow your heads to pray? Lord of the Church and God of our salvation, we thank you for the advice that St. Paul gave to young Timothy, and we grab onto it today and realize that if we want to overcome the sin in our life, if we want to control our own lives, if we want to be trained in the ways of God, we've got to stay plugged in to your holy word. And especially that word that leads us over the next four weeks straight to the coming of our Savior. Not only in Bethlehem, but when he comes again to take us into eternity. In that great day when the seas and the mountains will quake, but the children of God will receive the greatest grace that you have shown to us, the grace of eternity. We thank you, O Lord, for Advent and ask that it be a holy season among us. For Jesus' sake, amen. May the peace of God which pass all human understanding keep our hearts and minds with Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Please stand for the song called The Stand.